soon, but he looks pretty uh, down. <laughs> he looks pretty uh, down. Yeah, well, maybe we should cheer him up then. What do you uh, suppose we should do? Well, does he like butter tarts? I was lying on the grass on Sunday morning of last week. Yes, people, we're not stealing the sunshine, we're just bringing the heat. Welcome to a new episode of Echo Chamber. Alright, so let's get into the UK box office for the weekend of the 26th to the 28th of April. At number 10, we've got 8th grade. At number 9, we've got Greta. At number 8, and still in the top 10, Missing Link. At number 7, Wild Rose. At number 6, Captain Marvel. At number 5, Shazam. At number 4, Red Joan. At number 3, Wonder Park. At number 2, Dumbo. And to make it free for Disney and the film we all knew would destroy and come in at number one, Avengers Endgame. (laughs) Not a surprise, right? Okay, so this week, people, we've got free... Yep, another free reviews. So uh, let's get into it, right? Okay, so the first film this week was, um, yeah, a little kind of indie number called A Boy Called Sailboat. Um, so this starred, um, well, Sorry, it's directed by Cameron Nugent um, and starring uh, J.K. Simmons, Jake Boosie, Noel Guglielmi, Elizabeth DeRazo, um, and like the the gist of the story is this: in a slanted home beyond the reaches of a drought-ridden town, an isolated Hispanic family accept an impossible blessing and name their only son Sailboat. Sailboat brought fresh love and hope to his family who have 
forged a simple but proud life in America. But one afternoon he brings home something more, a little guitar. From this moment, Sailboat and his ukulele are inseparable. And when his ill grandmother requests he write a song for her, Sailboat meanders through adversity to deliver the unimaginable, the greatest song ever written. Will the mysterious song breathe one last miracle or reveal a hapless twist of fate that will return his family to a house to a family to a house held up by a stick, a car with no doors, and an unchanging wardrobe, a friend who can't blink. Um Yeah, so this film was the winner of the Boston Film Festival's Festival Prize, the Newport Beach Film Festival's Audience Award, and the Prescott Film Festival's Director's Choice Award. Um, and it also received critical acclaim during its theoretical release with a t- Entertainment Monthly calling the film relentlessly charming okay so um well yes this is a a quaint i guess you do yeah i think we we could call it a quaint film um there is a yeah i will say there is a charm to it i guess but I think uh, a big problem, like, it's nice, okay? So it, it's nice and there are some nice interactions here. Like, uh, especially between um, the husband and wife, you know, um, who are um, who are played by Noel... Um, no Guglielmi and Elizabeth Teresa, you know, so like there's moments between them that's yeah, just sweet, just kind of nice. But I, I, I think the film definitely tries a bit too hard to be quaint and charming. And, um, like, it it starts off with a narration from, um, yeah, from the kid from Sailboat, Julian Atokani Sanchez. And uh, I think whenever, because there's a lot of narration from him in the film but the problem is you know being a little kid it's a squeaky voice and so it gets a little jarring you know so you're you just kind of wish it was someone else doing that bit and yeah it, it it's like 
yeah, I think it's just trying a little bit too hard. Like the house being, you know, it's a slanted house being held up by a stick. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense because, yeah, all right, fine. There's a stick one side, but there should be, you know, poles the other side. With like a wire or something pulling it in the other direction, then the sticks pushing it. Yeah, you know, that would make more sense if you're gonna do it like that. But it still makes no sense. You know, you're like, what? And then the car with no doors. It it's just too much stuff here. Like you're you're trying too hard to be this type of film and that yeah you, you do find yourself scratching your scratching your um head and wondering like but why like a little kid that can't blink uh, you know there's too many of these things in the film you know it's just a bit too much and then it's just like but why there's no explanation for any of it, essentially. So it's just like, uh, come on, man, come on. Then we're, we're told, like, you know, the kid, because it's a ukulele, like, he's playing a ukulele, and everyone's like, it's a little guitar, and it's just like, it's a ukulele, just say it's a ukulele. Just say it's a ukulele, God damn it. Then... You know, it's just like this is the best song that's ever written, but we don't ever hear the song, and it's hard to believe that it is the best song ever written. So I think that's the thing. Um, and when you think about this, I I feel it's it's trying to be something like Stranger Than Fiction or Little Miss Sunshine. But in those films, like Little Miss Sunshine, the great thing was it's like you're getting told this one thing all the way through. And then when you see it, when you see the dance, you're like, what? <laughs> that is ludicrous. It's, it's insane. What? And so, I mean, I think that would have been the great payoff to actually hear the song. You know, that would have been great. And especially if the song was bad. You know, that would have been just a perfect kind of end. But yeah, you never get that. So I, I, I think we're being teased all the way through. It's like, you know, you're you're kind of having to do a lot of... um. Oh, what's the word? Just, uh... Um, oh, God damn it. Just like a leap of faith, but it, it's the other thing. Oh, for fuck's sake. But you know what I mean if I say a leap of faith. You, you know what I mean? But, but we're meant to be doing a lot of that. There's a lot of that in this film. For for the conceit of, you know, this greatest song and this slanted house and all of these things. For that 
to be believable you know w- we have to do a lot of um um uh the word that i can't think of and so yeah i i feel we need a payoff we we need something but we never get that thing you know and that's the shame of it i think it yeah it's not a terrible film and i think it you know it's i guess it's like it's an okay sunday film when you're trying to kick back and you want something on that you don't have to think too much about um something nice but you know that would be this film but i just feel it it's just kind of lacking the real substance it's kind of lacking the 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 real charm because this is kind of false charm um so it's it's lacking the charm of a stranger than fiction a little miss sunshine and about time you know it, it, it it's it's not quite on that level but um look if those are your type of films you like that kind of quaint odd indie little feature then yeah you know check this out a boy called sailboat it's um on general release monday the 6th of may um you can get it on all the regular platforms google itunes all of that um standard 7.99 um high def 9.99 so yeah check it out um you know might be for you it's again it's from director cameron nugent um and uh, distributed by the movie partnership oh it's um it's a rating 12 okay all right cool let's go to the next film okay so the second film this week was a little number called dead in a week or your money back okay so um this film is directed by tom edmonds and it's starring anarin bernard i'm not sure if i got that right but you know uh christopher eccleston geffen anthony and tom wilkinson okay so the uh the basic gist of this is um what's the film after another failed attempt to commit suicide hapless writer william addresses the services of a hired assassin leslie the 
inexorable angel of death from the killer's guild. An organisation that is ready to help anyone who needs a quick and painless death. Leslie has a good heart but an unsteady hand. The authorities want to retire him and the contract that has turned up is the only chance to postpone the inevitable. However, the case intervenes in the fortuity. The fate suddenly smiled to William. He, that, your apologies, that makes no sense. That was a terrible write-up. I'm going to find... Hold on. Okay, this one... This will be a better one. Alright. After seven unsuccessful suicide attempts, William outsources the task to Leslie, an ageing hitman on the brink of retirement. But, with the contract signed and death assured, within a week, or his money back, William finally discovers a reason to live. However, as far as Leslie is concerned, the contract is binding. Um, yeah, that, like, I have to say, I, I thought the idea around this film was, um, was amusing, you know? A hitman, he's getting old and he, he, you know, he needs to find a way to, to fill his quota. So he's going after people who um, want to commit suicide. Which, you know, it's an easy way to um, get some deaths under the belt, as it were. So I like that. I, I thought that was kind of amusing. I don't think I've come across that kind of idea before and i i did like the very beginning of the film which um shows one of william's attempts to try and kill himself and that's how he meets leslie that was amusing the whole kind of sequence then um like the rest of the film is okay but there's a lot in it that I thought just didn't make any sense. Now, I could understand what they're trying to do. You know, we've got a couple of things going on. You've got Leslie doing everything he can to save his job. And then we've got William who, you know, now wants to live. Or at least, at first, at least postpone the death. Which, you know, you could definitely see coming. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't like, wait, oh, what? No. It's as soon as he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sign this contract. And, okay, so there's no going back. All right, I'll sign the contract. You know, straight away, as soon as he does that, he's going to be like, wait. Now there's a reason to live. You knew that was coming. But you have these two things playing off each other. That's fine. You know? I'm I'm fine with that. 
But then they're trying to play the film to make it a bit of a comedy, which doesn't really work because um, William, you know, our our, our guy playing um, our guy playing William, who is um, Anirin Bernard. He doesn't have the delivery for comedy, you know, so that's not, uh, so it's just not working in that regard. And then I think it's like there's not much else to keep the film going. So you kind of have to go... Alright, we better make the film shorter. And it's only 90 minutes, so it's not an overly long film. But playing off the original conceit, I think you could have probably knocked 15 minutes off the time. You know what I mean? Like, an hour. I think an hour itself would have been probably the perfect amount of time. To be honest. But... Yeah, so you've got this original idea, which is fine. But to extend the film, they add in these new elements, which become a little infuriating. You know, to to add in the literary agent. And then what comes with that. It's a bit like, really... You know what, like, really? That's what you're telling me. Then, on on top of it, you're you're adding in the, like, oh, and he's a great writer, and you're just like, no, because the whole beginning of the film is that he's not. That's what reason he's trying to kill himself. So we're adding in these things, and you're just like, what? That makes no sense. Then it's just like all this kind of dick measuring. It will, there's no actual dick measuring. But what I mean is, it's just like, wait, how did your parents die? How did your parents die? Oh, my parents died. Oh, yeah. I think mine died worse than you. And it's just like, no, no, no. Just, I don't care. I really have no interest whatsoever. So then you've got that. Then at the end, there's some shit at the end that makes no sense whatsoever. Because it's just like, I'm going to kill you. Oh, wait, boom, 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 hold this. And it's just like, wait, hold on. You don't have to die. Because you've got... And it's just like... Wait, what's going on? Why are they acting like there's no way out when there's clearly, clearly ways out here? So you're just like, this makes no sense. And then the very, very ending was just infuriating. Look, I've got to be honest, it was infuriating. I, I think if you had not done that, 
I could have been a bit like, okay, fine. But when you end the film, the way this film ends, I'm just a bit like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm out. I'm out. And and the problem is, it's not a terrible film. That's the thing here. It's not a terrible film. But there are elements of this film that just irritate you. You know, because there's like no sense to it. There's no need for it. So you're just like, I don't know why that's there. You know, I don't know why they did that. That's just weird. And I think that that's a big problem with this film. Like, the, as I said, look, the idea, the conceit of the film, I like that. But then there's all these, there's these other elements that they've kind of tried to shoehorn in that make no sense, so you're kind of just dragging down the film and the enjoyment of the film by putting these things there, but I think, look, in the, um, in the blurb I was sent, right, it says, this is for fans of In Bruges and Killing Gunther, like I didn't I couldn't I didn't get on with him Bruges. But I imagine, you know, that everyone else did. So if you are a fan of In Bruges, yeah, you probably will like this too. You know what I mean? So um that's what I will say. If if you're a fan of In Bruges, Killing Gunther, then Dead or Your Money Back is probably a film for you. Okay, and you will, if if that's the case, you'll be able to pick it up on Monday the 6th of May. And um, you can get it from all your usual platforms, you know, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Sky Store, you know, the usual places. 7 99 standard, 999 HD. It's a Fifteen, like there's a little blood and gore in it, you know. There's guns, but it's not, it's not overly crazy, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, and it's ninety minutes, okay. So that is dead in a week or your money back. Well, people. I have to say, if you are a fan of horror, and you're free on Thursday the 9th of May, then uh, this is definitely one you don't want to miss, alright? So, the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies closes out the spring 2019 season with a deep dive into the works of horror visionary Clive Baker, focusing on his books, films, and recurring themes of sex, death, religion, and selling one's soul. On the 9th of May, at the Horse Hospital, for Hellbound Hearts, 
The Dark Art of Clive Baker. So, yeah. That one um, is definitely one not to be missed, right? The Masonic Miskatonic Institute is a celebrated organisation with branches in the UK and US that is committed to bringing academic level classes to the public that focus on the genre and themes surrounding horror while spotlighting some of the genre world's most renowned critical and literary and filmmaking luminaries so uh yeah that sounds pretty good right um I'm going to put the details and a link to book tickets in, um, yeah, this episode's, uh, you know, thingy on the website. So make sure you uh, go check it out. But it will be taking place at 7 p.m. till 10. Um, admission is £10 in advance. £11 on the door or £8 concessions. So I imagine this is going to get booked up pretty quickly. So I would book your places ASAP, people. Don't linger and mess around. All right. Okay. So, um, Let's get to our last review of the episode. So I am just back from seeing Longshot. This is the new um, romantic comedy, I guess you would call it, from director Jonathan Levine. Uh, And Jonathan Levine, we, we... you would know from things like he's uh he was behind warm bodies so he wrote and uh directed that um and you know what that it was an okay film it was yeah it was weird like you shouldn't have liked it but yeah it was kind of endearing uh he also directed 5050 which I really did love. I thought that was a, a, a great film. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, so I think they're the most notable, I think, things you probably know him by. Um, I did, Well, he did do an episode of How to Make It in America. I know that was big back in the day. We didn't get it in the UK. Um, and the night before... I believe that was not bad, but again, it wasn't over here. Uh, but yeah, so you know, he he's he's done a, a few things that were good. Um, it's written by Liz Hanna and Dan Sterling, and it's starring Charlize Theron, uh, Seth Rogen, Jean June Diane Raphael. Um, O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, Ravi Patel, uh, Rob Odenick, 
Andy Circus. Uh, yeah, I think they they were the main people. Oh, Alexander Skargard. Yep, he was in it as well. Um, and uh, yeah, the gist of the film is this. Okay, so Fred Flasky, who's played by Rogan is a gifted and free-spirited journalist with an affinity for trouble. Charlotte Field, Ferron, is one of the most influential women in the world. Smart, sophisticated and accomplished. She is a powerhouse diplomat with a talent for, well, mostly everything. The two have nothing in common except that she was his babysitter and childhood crush. When Fred unexpectedly reconnects with Charlotte, he charms her with his self-deprecating humour and his memories of her youthful youthful idolism. Actually, I had it right the first time. Hmm. As she prepares to make a run for the presidency, Charlotte impulsively hires Fred as her speechwriter, much to the dismay of her trusted advisers. A fish out of water on Charlotte's elite team, Fred is unprepared for her glamorous lifestyle in the limelight. However, sparks fly as their unmistakable chemistry leads to a round-the-world romance and a series of unexpected and dangerous incidents. I, you know, I think you, you hear that and it does sound very cliched, right? It, it really sounds like the typical, like, romance comedy kind of thing. Um... But it's so bizarre because I couldn't stop laughing. It is, you know, it is very cliched, but it just, it works. There's some weird reason why this film just works, you know, um... (laughs) <laughs> like the beginning of the film really does set the tone. So you've got Seth, um, he's gone undercover to break a news story. I won't say any more than that, but he's gone undercover and his cover gets he has to he has to escape and the way just the way he escapes it's just like the it's just the whole scene, like the whole few minutes, it's just like it's ridiculous, you know what I mean, it's ridiculous, it's clear that he's a fish out of water, but he's he's pulling it off, when his cover gets blown, it's just the the craziness of the situation, and how it all played out, and how he escapes, you know, you're just like, that is ridiculous, but you're laughing, you know, which says it all, really does he um you know so as i said look he's a journalist he loses his job because he's trying to make a stand you know he's he's got these high values that kind of play out throughout this film 
and these values make him go, look, no, I'm out, I'm done, I can't be, I can't be with this. And his friend takes him to a party. Now, his his friend in this film is O'Shea Jackson Jr. And O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s character is is clearly, you know, the the kind of the funny black friend. You know what I mean? Lance. He's the funny black friend. Like the acting isn't incredible, but it's that fulcrum, you know what I mean, because he kind of is there to balance everything out, and kind of send people on that path, so it works, and so Lance takes him to a party, and at the party, hey, there's boys to men, (laughs) boys to goddamn men, but also Charlotte, and we then get a flashback to how they first met when they were kids, so we have that, which is amusing in itself, and then the story kind of goes from there, and it's a bit like, oh gosh, I see what's going to happen here. I, I see how this is playing out. But it's funny. It, it's just really, yeah, it's just amusing. It's re- It really is, you know, some of the silly things that are said. Um, like, I 69 Fidel Castro. <laughs> you know, if, if you think the beard is hairy, it's just like, ah, it's just some funny, stupid lines, you know. Like, there's this ongoing thing um, about people, actors who have started in TV and then transitioned to film. And they're like, um, well, you know, I, I, I think... There was, obviously, there was um, ER, ER, god damn it, my mind is gone, my mind is gone, Uh, George bloody Clooney, that's it, George Clooney, god damn it, yeah, so the joke is, like, the only actors to do it are George Clooney and Woody Harrelson. And so, you know, this joke plays out, it plays out. And then there's a one moment where um, one of the female characters is just like, well, you know, no, no, I, Jennifer Aniston. And, <laughs> and then um, Rogan's like, well, no, Jennifer Aniston, yes, she's made films. But just because she's made films doesn't mean she's a star. Which, it was just a delivery, it was just hilarious. And so you have these, you know, these moments and they're playing out. And even if the film is cliched, it's really just fitting together and you're engaged. You're you're just, you you know, you're, you're really kind of connected to these characters. And I think it obviously is like the underdog story, you know. And we have seen the underdog story a lot. And we've also seen films, and especially recently, where it's just like, right, let's um, 
we're gonna make all the female characters like all the important characters and we're gonna do and and it all and a lot of times it feels a bit clunky there's definitely times where it works and it's great like the recent captain marvel fantastically well done film you know but not everyone seems to be able to do it right can balance things correctly but this one plays with it you know like there's this um we we keep on cutting to a tv program where you've got two men anchors and a female and the men are like ridiculously chauvinistic and they're just like oh you know who really wants to hear from a woman ah and the female anchor she's always yeah funny one guys and so this is like a thing that's playing out throughout the film and it's all these kind of moments that you know where in other things it does feel false and this one it you know it's not done with a great deal of finesse but it works because it just I don't know the film kind of just fits together yeah because I think a lot of times it's a bit like um there was a tv series back in the day called Sunset Beach and it kind of was like playing with the conceit that it knew it was rubbish you know what I mean and so it 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 was kind of making fun of itself and this isn't a rubbish film but I think it's playing with these kind of um these moments it is playing with the juxtaposition of look this is usually a joke you know this is ridiculous We're, we're gonna do this and so it has these things and as I said look they're working when they shouldn't and I think it's because it's going look how ridiculous this is you know look at this we're gonna do this it's stupid but just look and I think that's the thing that really helps propel this film and hey I'm not gonna lie it's sweet as fuck like I'm sitting in the frigging cinema and I'm trying not to well up when you're seeing Seth like spill his heart out like how he likes Charlotte and then when Charlotte's just like oh I really like you know what I mean ah you have it's just sweet it's nice and then then some of the speeches and stuff like that and it's just like oh that's so sweet it's so nice, you know, I think, you know, a, a big part is I, I was just friend-zoned, <laughs> so it's just like, I want someone to succeed, yes, he got the girl, or she got the guy, you know, however you want to play it, but it, it was just nice, it's, it, it's, it, it's nice, and it, and it made me laugh. And I think that's the important thing. We go to watch films to escape. We go to see a skewed reality to take us away from the bullshit that is, you know, day-to-day life at times. You know, so it's, it's good 
when we can see that, you know, yes, we, there's films that are dark and dour, and they work as well, but sometimes we just want to laugh, sometimes we want things that are just silly, and this is silly, it's ludicrous, and it's funny, but it's just sweet, and at its core, that's the important thing, it's it's sweet, and yes, there, it, there are messages, some of the messages aren't subtle, but that's not a bad thing, because look, we should all accept thing you know what I mean we we shouldn't be so judgmental we should be trying to accept people just you know what I mean regardless of a, a label that's attached you know what I mean just look look about because hey if we didn't know someone was a Republican or a Democrat or a Labour or Conservative, religious or, or spiritual or just atheist, if we didn't know any of these things and we just met someone and taught, would we would we get on with them? Probably. So just because we know they're one of these labels, why does that skewer things? You know, so that was a message in the film, and yeah, it, it it's something that we should all try to aspire to. You know, we probably won't, but it it it's sometimes it's nice to get that reminder that you know we should be looking to do these things, you know, and it, it it's kind of nice when it's done and it's not overly preachy. So yeah, look. Long shot, it's not the film I was expecting, but I'm extremely glad I saw it, and I would say, people, go check it out, because it's fun, oh, and and also, it's got a very fun soundtrack, a very fun soundtrack, so, you know what I mean, go check it out, it, it's great, we've got, um, Again, we got Alexander Skargard, we got Randall Park, Andy Circus, who is it's hard to know it's Andy Circus, but he gives a great performance. Um Bob Oldenirk, who is fantastic, Ravi Patel, O'Shea Jackson Jr., June Diane Raphael, who's great, Seth Rogen who's great, and Charlize Theron who is fantastic, and she's still fire, you know what I mean, still fire, so yeah, check it out, it's the new film from Jonathan Levine, Hannah, Liz Hannah, um, and Dan Sterling, it's long shot, and it's not a long shot that you will have a lot of fun. Okay, so I'm here with Louis Savvy, who is the, um, I would say, the the creator and founder of Sci-Fi London. Uh, it's a sci-fi festival happening on the 15th to the 22nd of May, um, it will be at the Prince Charles Cinema and the Stratford Picture House, 
all the information will be in the details of this episode uh so yeah we're gonna speak with louis and find out yo what the hell is this festival so louis like the i believe this is the 19th year that you're doing this why like what what made you decide to start a sci-fi festival right so the hello um uh this is a always an interesting question actually about why i started it the two reasons um there's the there's the lovely romantic reason and then there's the actual proper real reason so there i'll give you the the first one um i was out I, I used to run a multimedia company and uh, ended up with too many people working for me, dealing with accounts and payroll and all that sort of stuff, and I just got rid of it, and I was looking for something to do. And I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and I used to read an awful lot of science fiction, um, uh, much less these days, but I was really into uh, low-budget and indie science fiction film, and you can't see it anywhere it's really difficult to see the kind of stuff that I wanted to see, you know, really good ideas that don't rely on big special effects. You know, I'm a huge fan of all of the big franchises. Um, you know, I fall comfortably between being a, you know, Star Wars fan and a Trekker. Um, you know, I love, you know, I, I love it all. I'm a real, real sci-fi nut. Um, but the kind of stuff that I was looking for, I just couldn't see at the cinema anywhere. So, um, we were at dinner one night uh, with some friends and um, we were talking about movies like you do and somebody said, oh, well, I don't like science fiction films. And I went, what? That's, that's like saying you like jazz. You know, you, can, you don't have to like Dixie or Trad, you know, um, but you can't ignore the influence it's had. You can't ignore or the, uh, what some of that, can do to you you know and I think that's very true of science fiction you know you don't have to be a Star Wars fan and some people really can't stand Star Wars movies and other people would argue that they're not proper sci-fi which you know you, then you get into tropes and yada 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 um, but I said well this is ridiculous you can't really you don't like you haven't seen the right kind of movies that's all you know have you seen La Jetée have you seen uh, Galaxy Quest, you know, a fantastic comedy. I mean, it's, you know, um, science fiction when it's really good is not the thing that's upfront about science fiction. It's always the backdrop, you know, when it's done well. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless <coughs> Mind, um, you know, Michel Gondry's um, movie, relies on the performances of the cast and not big budget special effects. I mean, there are some odd set pieces in there because he's Gondry, but on the whole, the money spent on that film was spent on the cast, and but it couldn't have happened without the science fiction. You know, you oh, needed yeah. the device in order to be able to do the thing, and that's the kind of sci-fi I like, is you say, well, what if we could edit people's memories? You know, and we start there, you know, rather than saying, well... This is an adventure story about a kid on another planet who's gonna da 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 da, da and so on, right? Um, so I said, well, you got, you know, you got to see the right, you got to see the right stuff because there's so much sci-fi you might have missed. And this friend said, uh, well, I, you know, I said, what kind of movies do you like? She said, well, I love French films, you know, Godard and Truffaut. And I said, Truffaut made a science fiction film. What? I said. He made Fahrenheit 451, you know, and it was shot by Nick Rogue, and it's got Oscar Mayer and Julie Christie, and it's an amazing piece of cinema. Um, and you haven't seen it, and you won't have seen it because it said science fiction, right? You look it up, and it says a sci-fi film by, you know, written by Ray Bradbury, and 
So I, I said, I think we're going to do, and she was very lovely, and uh, she worked in PR and marketing. I said, there's something we're going to do. We're going to go and see some movies together. <coughs> and I couldn't, again, find the kind of stuff that I wanted to see at the cinema. Mm. So I looked around to see if there was a festival, because I thought, well, a festival will show this kind of stuff. And there isn't one, or wasn't one. There we are. There's the seed of my idea. I'm going to start a film festival, and I'm going to get you to PR it. I'm going to get you to get people like you who think they don't like science fiction to come to our festival and see some really good and interesting film. Um, and, uh, and so she said yes to that and we started the festival and 19 years later I'm still doing it. So, and the end of that little tale is uh, we've got three kids. So I, you know, so I also got the girl. Yay! Um, and then the other reason, well, actually, they were both kind of mixed up in it, was again because I couldn't see the kind of stuff that I wanted to see. So that's why we did it. I, you know, I, I'm happy to sit and watch Plan Nine from Outer Space. I, you know, I just recently rewatched Thor Ragnarok. You know, I mean, I love the comic book movies. I love, you know, I love all the different tropes that are in it. My big passion is for post-apocalyptic stuff. I'm a big, huge fan of that as a subgenre. Um, but um, for me, the, the the joy of having this festival is that every year I get to see submitted films, you know, things that people send from all over the world to us, and I get to watch them first. You know, we've got six world premieres in the festival this year. I've seen them, you know, I've seen all those films, and I can go, wow, this is great. We've got to show this to an audience, and they're going to love it, because they're either going to laugh out loud, and they think it's great and really funny, and it's, you know, and it happens to be a sci-fi, or this is a really cool, deep, you know really deals with issues of you know whether that's um you know socio-political or you know different economies and different environments and so on so um yeah it's an absolute joy for for me to still be doing this 19 years later long answer sorry folks <laughs> okay no that's really interesting and i i think one thing you know what people forget like because a lot of people will say they love black mirror and you'd say Black Mirror is sci-fi, is sci-fi based in a, a lot of the things that are happening in it. So, yeah, it, it's just kind of changing that perspective that people have. So, um, you started 19 years ago. So, how did you, you know, convince people to let you show their films? Like, how did you get the ball rolling on that kind of front of things? Um, well, it's... It's actually easier than you think to start a film festival. Um, you just say, I'm going to start a film festival. Um, give yourself a name. Uh, and then from there, it's an awful lot of hard work. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, you've got to convince uh, a venue to support you. So, you, you, need, you know, you need somebody to show the films. Um, and then we put calls out, um, you know, filmmakers. <coughs> excuse me, I'm coughing. Filmmakers all over the world have made films. Um, and a lot of them will never get to the UK because whilst we've got thousands and thousands of cinema screens, you know, this, this weekend, for instance, every cinema in the country pretty much was showing Avengers Endgame, mm. right? So how do you get a low-budget indie Hungarian film with subtitles by an unknown director with no famous cast in it into a cinema where the cinema are going to say, well, okay, we'll put that on because it's a really good film, but actually we're going to you know how do we get people there and get them in to see it whereas avengers you know they've got 185 million pounds being spent on marketing 
you know, and they're 22 films, 22 episodes, mm. and this is their end episode, you know, how do you fight that, you know, so, um, so, uh, you know, in, in getting a festival to run, um, we put a call out and just said, look, if you've made a science fiction film, short or feature, you know, anything, you know, 15, 20 minutes or two hours, whatever it is, send it to us, let's have a look, and we pick the ones that we like the best, um, and then we put them on in a cinema. So we started in January 2002 uh, with our very first uh, event. Um, and I think we screened 12 or 15 uh, feature films and about 20 shorts, something like that, the first year. very first film we put on was La Jetée um, because I wanted to see it on the big screen because I've never seen it at the cinema. Which I don't know if you, again if you if you don't if you're not aware of that film, um, you guys listening, uh, La Jetée was made in 1962. So La Jetée was made in 1962 by an American called Chris Marker, um, who was one of the kind of original Americans in Paris. He's a video artist. Um, it's 29 minutes of black and white stills, with a voiceover. Um, and there's actually only four seconds of actual real film in it. The rest of it is just black and white photography with a voiceover. Um, and it's an incredible piece of cinema, um, I think. Um, you may know it if you've watched Time Bandits, which is, um, sorry, uh, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys was the movie that was based on La Jetée. Um, and in fact, if you know both of the films, there's a sh sequence in it where Bruce Willis is running down the airport concourse um, and he gets shot and it's virtually um, identical in its framing and timing and so on to the original film by Chris Marker so um, anyway so the first thing we put on was 12 Monkeys and La Jete back to back as the opening the festival and then we screened a film called The American Astronaut which was a black and white musical by a guy called Corey Maccabee which won at Sundance uh, in 2001 and it's a real Marmite film. You either love it or you hate it. If you love it, then you'll, you'll get the sort of rid ridiculousness of it. Um, we described it as Laurel and Hardy, directed by Jim Jarmusch. Um, I mean, it's an incredible film. And again, that was kind of what we were set up to do, was to say, well, look, you know, you can have 12 monkeys, you know, kind of big budget, you know, A-list stars, you know, science fiction film, very hard in its sci-fi, being a time travel movie. Um, and then we screen one which is about basically a trader going around our solar system in a crappy old spaceship and in fact they didn't have budget to do a spaceship so they drew it on a blackboard <laughs> and they moved the blackboard in front of the screen um, uh, and you see I mean it's a blackboard you actually see the frame you know around the blackboard and it's got a picture of a ship on it and they just move that up and down in front of the camera but but as an art house movie if you know for to use shorthand it's an outstanding piece of work and again that's kind of you know what we look for and that was submitted to us you know we were also lucky that you know i um it's also what who you know and i had a friend of mine called tony watts who's been uh, working in film and tv for 30 years and i rang him and just said oh by the way i'm going to start a film festival and he said well i'll get you a I'll get you something. I'll see what I can... I'll make some phone calls. And we had the world premiere. First festival, first year of Sci-Fi London. We had the world premiere of Ken um, uh, Russell's 
first mini DV feature um, called The Fall of the Laos of Usher. And Ken Russell came and we had a great night. We were sponsored by the Sci Fi Channel. We threw a big party. You know, it was all, I mean, it was, I mean, we were really lucky just that all the things fell into place. Um, and uh, and then since then it's been you know loads of hard work to keep raising the money to do, you know all the boring stuff you have to do like any business if you like or any art uh, endeavour. Um, but still, for me, every year I go, I'm never going to do this again. It's too much hard work. You know, festivals don't make any money um, and all that sort of stuff. And then every year I go, yeah, but. It's going to have been another couple of hundred really cool sci-fi films made this year, and I want to see them. So I go, okay, all right, let's, you know, we do it again. So, you know, Sci-Fi London 19 is in a couple of weeks' time. Sci-Fi London 2020 will be next year. So, yeah. So was there any um, thought of maybe combining it with something that already exists? You know, like... The, a, a subshoot of the London Film Festival or one of the, you know, big comic cons. Like, you know what I mean? For, like, merge it in to take off some of the financial strain and pressure and use their kind of influence to try and get more films or more screenings, more venues, that kind of thing. Uh, it's an interesting question, actually. I've not been asked that before. I think the reason we went out on we were on our own to start with was actually partly to get away from things like comic cons and and regular you know uh, sci-fi conventions and cosplay i mean it was we're talking nearly 20 years so actually a lot of that stuff has really grown over the last 10 15 years and wasn't quite so around then and sci-fi was very much seen as a kind of um uh I don't know. It was, yeah, it was it was lowbrow, mm. and it was mostly fat blokes with big tellies. Is what people thought, you know, who collect steel books, yeah. right? You know, that's what they thought sci-fi fans were. Um, and the reason I wanted Sci-Fi London to become a thing in its own right was because it was all the mission was and still is to say, you know, come to us if you think you don't like sci-fi, because the f- people who love sci-fi will come and see things because they look interesting yeah. within the festival so I don't need to sell anything to them I don't need to convince you know someone who's a fan of science fiction to come and see some science new science fiction films but I do need to convince people who think they don't like it and yet they watch Black Mirror you know as you you know as you mentioned earlier or they watch um, again you know they watch superhero movies you know which predominantly have, have got a, a kind of underbelly of science fiction although they're very fantasy and spiritual and mystic and you know in the in the sort of god building stories that they have mm. um but ultimately they're all still layered you know on top of basic sci-fi tropes so it's and yet they some of these people think they don't like science fiction i remember having a a, a meeting with someone i think it was at kiss fm and we were talking to them about doing a advertising campaign or something you know and um, uh, someone in their marketing team was saying, well, I really, oh, science fiction, I can't stand science fiction. Really can't stand it. And I said, oh, okay, well, what's your top, give me your top 10 films. And in her top 10 films were The Thing, <laughs> Alien, and Back to the Future. Oh, right. And she said she doesn't like science fiction. So, uh, 
you know, I, so the mission continues. You know, we're on a mm. boldly going when no one's been gone before. You know, to keep trying to convince them. So, um, going but also thinking about you know within other festivals again because we we've done certainly done guest spots. At, uh, at various other festivals you know we do we've done some shorts programming for the london film festival and you know lots of festivals now around the world you know we've we've gone and taken a selection of really cool shorts or we presented a feature film that we've been championing um and, and 10 years ago um you may again listeners you may or may not know we started a 48 hour film challenge where we task people who make films to shoot a science fiction film in a weekend they have to make a five-minute original short film on a start on a Saturday morning and deliver it back to us on Monday. Um, and we did that as well because, um, because when I met filmmakers at other festivals and, you know, over the first sort of five, six years of the festival, they said, no, I can't make science fiction. I don't have that kind of budget. And again, I would refer them back to, well, if yes, if you want to make Empire Strikes Back, you need $100 million. You know, you want to make Avatar, you need $200 million. You know, if you want to make Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, you need a calendar, um, you know, a few wires and some knobs on a board, you know, because that's what they spent the money in the science fiction on. Mm. The rest of it went on the cast and the Gondry and the production values and all that sort of stuff, but it didn't go on the science fiction. You know, it's not a space opera that relies on big special effects. So we started that 10 years ago. And um, so, and the, the result of that competition as well, we've screened all over the world, you know, and we've been part of lots of festivals talking specifically about how we've managed to get people to create that stuff with no budget in a weekend. So. Mm. Well, I, I, I think you're missing something as well, because didn't um, a, a, a little known at the time, but now pretty big director, enter that film competition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started 2008, first year, we decided to run a 48-hour film challenge. We got some judges. We were really lucky. We had uh, Dave Bradley, who was the editor of SFX magazine at the time. We had a, an actor friend of mine called Emily Booth. She's been in lots of lots of horror mostly, but she's a really good actor, big genre fan, and John Landis. <laughs> so, who actually hasn't made much science fiction, but um, but he's a great director, and uh, and we were lucky to have them on the jury. So uh, a young filmmaker, well, a young special effects artist, he did a lot of compositing. And I think he'd even won an Emmy for his work on Attila, the Hun for Channel, Channel 4 and stuff. He was really good at After Effects and, and compositing and all that kind of stuff. Decided to enter because he was a huge John Landis fan. And he wanted to make a film that John Landis might see. So he got three or four of his, of his mates together, one of whom is Daniel Pemberton, a composer. Um, who now works with Scott Free and does a lot of things with Ridley Scott and does lots of TV and film um, sound scores. Uh, they entered. Their first film he's ever made, um, again, written on a Saturday morning, delivered back to us on a Monday morning. Um, it's called Factory Farmed. It's on our website at cypherlondon.com. And his name was Gareth Edwards. So, anyway, film's pretty good, right? <laughs> It looked like cinema. I mean, it was amazing. Everyone was shooting pretty much on mini-DV at the time. Again, you're talking 10 years ago. So the tech was mini-DV. Um, and most everything we got back looked like videotape. 
you know, although well acted and well produced and stuff, you know, there was some decent grades on it, but it looked like videotape and it looked like it had been shot on a video camera. Gareth's film just felt cinematic. Um, it really did, and it just bubbled to the top, and the jury picked it as the winner. Um, so he pitched uh, around a few feature film ideas because he knew a couple, because he was, again, he's an effects guy. And uh, he pitched a film called Monsters to Vertigo, um, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's uh, a very low budget indie. Again, effects budget wise, Gareth did it all himself. So there was no budget, you know. Yeah, well, I believe at the time when it came out, the word was it, w- it was all done on an Apple Mac. I, I, I think that's what I heard when it came. And, and the crazy thing is you don't really see the monsters. I think there's one bit at the very end. You see a little kind of a shot, but nothing. But the the suspense that you feel in throughout the story, it's just incredible. Yeah. No, it's. I think it's a really great film and a really cool achievement. The the basically there were two of them involved because Gareth shot it, and Gareth um, did the special effects on it. Um, and yeah, you're right. You don't. What there aren't is big. You know, it's not big monster fights and big all that sort of stuff. You see them, you know, properly at the end. And then there's very subtle things throughout. You know, and lots of really, you know, cool stuff where he's put signage on walls, yeah. which wasn't there, which is kind of his speciality, if you like. He can shoot things and then see where he's going to layer the special effect in it and then it's all composited and uh, you know it's all after effects stuff all laid on the top and so it's him and a guy called Colin Gowdy um, who is an amazing uh, film editor Um, and they had a couple of Macs and a camera and some decent lenses and they went to Mexico with two actors who were a husband and wife team or became husband and wife um, and then most everybody else in the film was uh, either local acting talent or just people they found to improvise um, because it's supposed to feel like a natural, mm. um, uh, a natural piece. Um, and I think it's great. Anyway, it opened at South by Southwest, which is one of the most important festivals in the world. Um, uh, uh, it won the Moe Award at Edinburgh. I mean, it did, you know, it did so well. Um, Gareth brought it back to us. I think it was in Edinburgh in June and in October we ran a little uh, Halloween kind of uh, version of Sci-Fi London and he came back and did a master class and talked nice. about the production and all that stuff. Him and Colin talked through the film and all that, which was really cool. Um, and then, then he got a phone call from Legendary saying, would you like to be the director on the next Godzilla revamp? Um, and then he got Rogue One, yeah. which, in you know, I'm not biased because he's one of ours, but I still think it's one of the best um, Star Wars films there is. I, I mean, Empire is fantastic, but but I still think it's such a strong movie, such a good feel to it. Um, well, I, I think it's what you were saying. You know what I mean? That, like, I, I, you kind of feel with Rogue One that it's more uh, a war story than sci-fi the war story is the crux of it oh oh and it's set in space that you mean that's essentially and i think that's what makes it because it's not tried it's not getting bogged down by gotta put a skywalker in it gotta oh where's the light you know it's just like right we're telling this story about war and the casualties of war and all the ramifications and i guess we'll put it in space and i think that's what made that film and in my eyes 
it's it's that an empire and it's very tight very tight you know between the two to which is my favorite style i i think you're right and i think i mean again as i said that's the science fiction's not the important part of it it's not the thing you know you take um uh something like uh, outland sean connery's outland um it's high noon you know it's a western uh, which happens to be set on a moon around jupiter you know um and it so it's they've got the they've got the problems and the hazards of deep space and all that kind of stuff but ultimately they just remade high noon and stuck it in space you know you take alien you know now this is where you start getting into the conversation about well really is that a horror film Mm. or is it a sci-fi well it's both of those things what it is is a really interesting movie really good fun very tense well shot brilliantly acted you know good production values and all that sort of stuff but you could take that film and set it on a on a tanker coming across the ocean mm, mm. right you know for 45 minutes they're sailing around you know um, on their way back and then they find something in the middle of the sea a boat could be they go on board they find a box they bring the box on board they don't know what it is they've got the ship tethered you know to the thing something gets out of the box and then spends the next 45 minutes killing everybody in the bowels of the ship and at the end the the, the there's one woman left and she gets into a lifeboat and thinks she's safe and the killer has got on a lifeboat I, I I think that's a film. I think need them write that, make that film. Didn't they, I can't remember what it's called, but didn't they make that film? There's a film with Jamie Lee Curtis in um, that's pretty much you know that Jaws on the, you know it was described as was it they say Ridley Scott said it was Jaws in space, and actually I think this other film was basically taking Alien on a boat. It was kind of you know I'm sick of those snakes on a plane, but it's but you know. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the science fiction should always be the, the background part of it. But anyway, going back to the 48-hour, yeah, we were, you know, it was amazing. We got, you know, first year we got Gareth Edwards, you know, and then his success has been meteoric, you know. Um, we've also got one of the very first films Daisy Ridley was in uh, called Blue Season. Again, you'll find it through our website if you uh, if you follow through the links to watch the films. Um little five minute short she does lots of running in it lots and lots of running i mean it's you know i don't know whether that was maybe maybe they saw it and they just went she can run let's get her she's really cool um we've got films with david hasselhoff um in we've got films with tom payne who plays jesus in uh, the walking dead we've got films with thomas middleditch uh from silicon valley um i, I mean there's, there's some incredible stuff has been made and again, written on a Saturday morning and shot, edited, graded, everything you need to do and delivered to us back on a Monday. Um, on an average, we have about 100, 120 films made every time we do this. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. So, you know, that's another thing I'm kind of really proud of with the festival is that we have, you know, we also generate, uh, you know, 100 new films in a, you know, every year we run the festival now, mm. you know. And again, I get to sit and watch all this stuff and go, wow, look, these great ideas, you know, really cool idea. A short film, I think, is for science fiction is, is also a really good uh, medium because the problem with any 90-minute, you know, average feature film is that you need to keep, you know, you need to play with the audience, right? Yeah. You need to get them interested at the beginning and then you need to take them through the characters journey and depending on 
if you read screenplay books, you know, whether it's a three acts and what happens at the middle and where the moment of jeopardy comes and the hit, all that sort of stuff, you know, if you, but if you're writing kind of formulaically, if you like, uh, a feature, then if you want to explore an idea like, you know, what if there's acid rain from now on, all we ever get is acid rain, you got ninety. You got to write a load of shit around mm. <laughs> for ninety minutes. You know, you got to right. Where actually, what be interesting is just to explore that idea. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a short, a ten minute short, you could go and say, right. Well, these are all the things I think that would happen and how society would change. You know, or what if you could, um, uh, I don't know, see electricity, or suddenly all the mo- you know five G gets turned on and it starts frying our brains, or whatever. You know, whatever it is, you know, we can we can face swap. We can upload our conscience, you know, to a computer. Um, uh, you know, people can change their skin colour, right? People can grow back limbs. They can, you know, uh, there's so many things that just you know go through your mind. And you yeah. say that'd be cool, yeah. wouldn't it? You know, but in a in a feature film, you've got to then still write a feature film Mm. you know in a short you can just explore that idea in 10 minutes um really really easily so that's another thing again we do at the that we do at the festival apart from having the 48 hour you know we have we have very very strong shorts programs every year um and if you want to come and see some sci-fi and you're not sure you want to sit through 90 minutes of it i recommend coming to see one of our shorts programs because you'll get eight to ten films They'll last anywhere between sort of three minutes. In fact, the shortest film we got this year is one minute twenty-four, oh, and the longest one we got is twenty-six minutes. So you get, but you get a select. It's like and it's a bit like a wedding DJ, mm, right? Mm. You know, you put a little bit on for the mums, a little bit for the kids, you know, a little bit, you know, and all that stuff. So you put a little bit of everything in, so you'll find one of the films out of the selection that you go, that was amazing. I, I think that's the first time I've heard a, sh- a short session described as a wedding DJ, but I feel very apt. <laughs> have, have you thought about what you could do with some of these um, directors and creators after the fact? You know what I mean? Taking it to the next level kind of thing? Well, we've, I mean, we, we've encouraged a lot of them obviously we make sure that we put the films out there as much as we can when they come back from the 48 hour um and also anything that's that any of the filmmakers have made we're you know we're always keen to push and when they release them on itunes or it comes out on dvd or whatever else we always try and promote that sort of stuff um i mean the festival's uh, made a feature film with a, a director called martin gooch uh, who he wrote um the screenplay as well it's a sci-fi comedy um uh, it's called the Search for Simon, um, and it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. It was extremely low budget, and re- a real experiment. And we've done a couple of short films as well, where we've again we've tried to crew up from people that we've met or known through the through the festival and all that kind of stuff. It just it uh, it's the usual thing. It's time and money, yeah. you know, time yeah, and money. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we've got so much material coming in to watch as well and keep mm. the festival going. It's you know, but if anyone wants to come and have a chat, you know, I'm easy to find. <laughs> come and have a, come and have a chat, you know. So, and um, sci-fi though, how the hell did that come about? All right, so so 19 years of the festival first five years for sure we were very kind of anti trope anti 
cliche stereotype. So uh, I said, right, no star backgrounds, no spaceships, no pictures of aliens, no yeah. robots and all that shit on any of our material. Right? If we're going to take a serious look at science fiction, let's let's put out imagery that tries to make it look interesting and not aimed at fans because fans will find us fans will come and all that and we're trying to convince other people that ooh this looks interesting I wonder what that is you know a lovely image you know and all that sort of stuff and then they might get hooked because they read a synopsis of a film watched a trailer and, and so on so so first five years, that was kind of really us, you know. Then we got a little bit less po-faced uh, about it. Um, yeah, not po-faced, but we got just a little bit less, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, strong yeah. on how that was. And then uh, the festival continued and continued. And then I had that similar kind of, not quite the same question as you asked earlier, but, um, you know cosplaying you know doing parade having a parade you know like 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 they have in you know the big comic cons yeah. in the states you know and then there's things like you know expo and all that kind of stuff you know why don't we do more of that stuff and and we did a couple of parades because we just thought they were fun the year of the royal wedding we did one all around the west westminster and so on and we had a zombie will and kate at the front of our of our <laughs> of our parade and we have a we had about i don't know there was six or eight hundred people there um and you could hear the giggle actually when we started the march you could hear the giggle go down the line as they realized we were actually going to be walking at zombie speed because we told them t we said right let's go and then they just went uh, and trudged forward oh you know. but but I, I i think recently over the last few years Zombie speed, you, 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 you know what I mean? No, it, was, yeah, it, it could have been 28, <laughs> 28 days later, zombie speed, you know, yeah, no, but no, classic, classic, they're coming to get you, Barbara, you know, speed. Um, anyway, so we've done a few of those things, and, uh, and I just thought, well, we're not, we weren't doing them to compete with anybody, you know, and we weren't sort of trying to go, right, let's get more like Expo and we'll do yeah. more like Comic Con and we'll try and get everyone down cosplaying and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but I, but it is fun, you know, and because first off, first and foremost, we're a film festival and we're, so it's for us, it's about showing the films, mm. not, not dressing up as people from the films, yeah. right? But, but we wanted to add a little fun element to it and we thought, well, why don't we do cosplay for dogs? And a friend of mine is a, f a professional dog photographer, and I looked, and he says, and he said, "That's a great. Let's do it. Let's do it." So we started Sci-Fi though. Um, I think this is our sixth year this year of doing it, and we've had some amazing um, uh, pets and owners turn up. Sometimes as combo, uh, you know, cosplayers. So the the there was one year we had a uh, a woman turn up dressed as Leia, and she had these two little dogs with her. One of which had been sprayed green, and the other one had a Darth Vader <laughs> outfit on. Um, and we had a we had a little terrier turn up once that had a polystyrene um us uh, enterprise on his <laughs> i mean unbelievable we also had a guy turn up one year with a cat in a ghostbusters outfit and we said it's a dog show and he said yeah and i said well that's a cat and he went is it perhaps it's a dog with a very special power and we couldn't argue with that really so we also had two kids turn up who mum whose mum wouldn't let them have a dog um, but 
they decided to come to a dog show and they dressed up as dogs and then dressed up in cosplay. <laughs> and we let them go and we let them and we I mean it's you know So exactly you know we do like to have fun as well. It's a festival and it's got the word festive in it. So we do try and make you know it as oh it as fun as possible. So oh. but if you're around set if I don't know when this is going out and how long it's up and all that, but Saturday the eighteenth of May um, outside the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square um, at two o'clock. Um, if you've got a pet, dress it up, bring it. Even if you just put a Wonder Woman outfit on it, you know, or a cape, um, or be more elaborate than that. You know, we had one of our best dogs was there was a, uh, a again a little terrier uh, in this big sort of fur. He came as a Tuscan Raider, but it actually had like a, all the fur and everything else to look like the animal, and then this little miniature. Um, uh, character stuck on its back you know so it looked like it was riding the dog I mean just you know amazing bit of costume amazing costume you know so pictures are on our website so or just google sci-fido you'll find you'll find loads of them so yeah okay um so if if someone wants to come and uh, you know to the festival uh is there like day tickets weekend tickets and do you need a separate ticket to see certain films or is it all in with the price so uh, we are and we've kind of done this on purpose we've never had a f- proper festival pass for sci-fi london um and part of the reason is is because it's such a broad church basically so you may well like a zombie movie and not a space opera so come and see the zombie movie so you can just buy a ticket to come and see that film you may only want to come and see the shorts because you're a filmmaker and you want to go and get some inspiration uh, or you may want to come and see a dozen films you can't come to everything we run for eight days so not many people can come to see everything all you know all the way through it so so you just like going to the cinema you go to our website um, you'll find all the details of everything we're showing on there some of it's free some of it's um, uh, and some of it you just buy tickets for, and you, but you buy for an individual film. So it's uh, for us, we just thought it was the easiest way of doing it. Okay. So, yeah. All right, fantastic. And um, is there anything else about the festival, like anything else that's coming up that you feel people, you know, they should know now? Because like, this is going to go up next week. So, yeah. Um, so yeah the other thing if you're around if you're into because we also do I mean, we do stuff with real science as well um, and we also then like to play with toys and new technology so part of the festival for the last five years has been the thing we run called Hackstock which is in association with Psych-Fi and Play Labs and we've got things like the Microsoft HoloLens, we've got the Magic Leap, we have Google Cardboards, we've got Beat Saber, we've got the Jedi Challenges, we've got all sorts of uh, VR and AR experiences, augmented reality, um, and mixed reality where you're able to uh, play with all the headsets and get thrown into some weird worlds. We've got, you know, we have things like brain analyzers and we've, we've done all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So Hackstock 5, uh, runs for three days, first three days of the festival, um, in a secret location in Soho. Um, if you go to the website and look up Hackstock, you'll find a form there where you can send us your name and address and details. Um, and then we're going to pick because we've got limited space. We're going to pick from the hat, 
and then we'll send you an invitation and the password to be able to get into our secret lab and come in and play with all this stuff um, and just get immersed in a whole lot of mixed reality um, uh, gadgets and toys and stuff and it's free um, so if you're into playing with all the new tech then come along to do that and if you're into some proper science and science fiction and how those things marry together our opening night film is called Perfect um, it's a cray visually it's outstanding it's kind of Gaspar Noy doing altered states it's it's amazing to look at if you know your artists uh, a lot of visuals in the film were done by Kid McGrath the music was by Flying Lotus um, it's Steven S- uh, Soderbergh presents um, he's the exec producer on the film it's an outstanding piece of cinema work um, and but we're introducing it we've got a talk by um, Gunnar Taylor who's a leading um, uh, geneticist and uh, behavioural s- uh, scientist from the Francis Crick Institute who's going to come along and talk about uh, genetic, um, genetic modification, human transformation uh, and all that kind of stuff and sh- you know this is hardcore science but done almost like stand up mm. um, really really uh, accessible and really turns the, the, the science that's within the film and talks about what's bullshit and what's reality where we are where we think we're going to be and all that kind of stuff so again look at the program you know we've got some amazing films on great shorts programs you know there's some free events you know on our side shows um yeah and just just check it out and if you're on social media we're we're on all the we twitter and instagram and facebook and it's all sci-fi london so you'll find us fantastic so um yeah, the 15th to the 22nd of May sounds like uh, stuff that needs to be penciled into the calendar. Take the week off. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. All right, Louis, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for talking to us about your festival. It sounds fascinating. Um, so, yeah, we're going to run all the details um, in the description. And, um, yeah, I uh, hope to... Uh, Bump into you at the festival. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed a full week of reviews. And remember, go get your horror on um, next Thursday. But, uh, you know, we've come that time again. So let's end with a little bit of film news. All right, so... um. Noah uh, Centineo? Yeah, Noah Centineo. That you might know him from To All The Boys I've Loved Before. And he's also in the upcoming Charlie's Angels reboot. Well, he has been cast as He-Man in the, the upcoming live action Masters of the Universe from Mattel Films and Sony Pictures. Now, the thing is, though, because, like, the actual story follows Prince Adam, who has the ability to transform into the warrior called He-Man. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I myself probably would go cast noah 
as Prince Adam. And then you get some crazy motherfucking bodybuilder, UFC fighter, you know, someone like that to actually play He-Man himself. I mean, does that make sense? Because He-Man, like I remember in the 80s cartoon anyway, was ridiculously huge. And so, a whole lot bigger than Prince Adam. So, yeah, I mean, do what they did with the old Incredible Hulk. You know, I forget the guy that played, was it Bisbee something? Bisbee played Banner, and then Lufarengo played the Hulk. Yo, do something like that. That would be great. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm not the director, but that's what I would do. Okay, anyway, in some unsurprising news, um, Comcast uh, and NBC Universal are in talks to sell their share of Hulu to Disney. So that would give Disney a um, 100% ownership. So, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it makes sense. There's some differing information out there, but they're, but, you know, but NBC Universal are planning to introduce their own streaming service next year anyway. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense. We'll see what happens with that. Now, in some unexpected news which just yeah it's kind of crazy man and um 30 years well just over 30 years ago as well right so um in 1988 ron howard made willow Right, set in the world of Nukmar. Well, weirdly enough, the plan is um, they might be going back to the world. So, in a in a, in a quote that um, you know. Howard, I think, said, there are some really serious discussions going on with um, John Kasdan, who is one of the writers of Solo, who kept hounding me about Willow the whole time we were shooting and also hounding Kathy Kennedy. We're in discussions about developing a Willow television show for Disney+. Plus." service and i think it'd be a great way to go i mean yeah i i I don't know if anyone really is clamoring for it but hey maybe they will do a willow follow-up and um all right I wasn't confused about this. I thought it was all pretty clear. But, um, the, uh, 
Yeah, the uh, CEO of Legendary Pictures, Joshua Grood, has confirmed recently that um, the upcoming June film is going to be a two-part affair. Um, what he did say, which is interesting, though, there's a backstory that was hinted at in some of the books that we expanded. Also, when you read the book, there's a logical place to stop the movie before the book is over. Now, if you asked me, the logical place to stop the book would be when um, Jessica and Paul crash on June in the Omnifopter. So, you mean that would be the place because then the film completely takes a different turn. And so, I don't know what they might be talking about as the um, the backstory that is expanded is the rivalry between um, Duke Leto and Baron Harkonnen and all of that. So, yeah, that would kind of make sense. And that is covered in a... Um, in a trilogy of um, the houses. So I think it was House Harkonnen. House Atreides. And House Carino. Um, which are very good books. Actually. Yeah. They are very good books. And probably the last good things. From Frank Herbert's son. The, uh, and Kevin J. Anderson. The rest of their stuff. Straight up garbage. But those books, fan-bloody-tastic. But yeah, that, that's what I can, could imagine. So possibly start the film with a younger Duke and Baron. Then you go into them as being older. Stop the film with the crash. Second film is, you know what I mean? Paul becoming... More are deep. So that could possibly be it. I don't know. But to me that, that would kind of make sense. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. But from all accounts. They're not making the films back to back either. So um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll be interesting to see. I mean I'm very much looking forward to this. So um, yeah. Well, um, people, that is it for another episode. Um, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember to, um, remember to check out Sci-Fi London and the details for that, uh, you know, as well will be in um, the description of this episode. Okay. So check it out. There is a lot of films. A lot of premieres. You know what I mean? So um, yeah. It, it's definitely one not to be missed. Alright. So um, yeah. Come back next week. 
and um, we'll give you some more film reviews and chatter. Alright people, enjoy the long weekend. Peace.